The following is a message by Dr. Stephen Baugh of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. The faculty has begun a series on wisdom and encountering that and how we respond to the free and full salvation we have in Christ with growing holiness of life. And uh, in the spirit of that, I'd like to think about wisdom, but from a New Testament book, the book of James, uh, a book that does have much wisdom in the sense of uh, helping us to live life in this world as we find it, knowing that God cares for us. Open, open please, to James 1. But, you see, I'm not going to really be uh, working with a text that gives you advice on particular problems. There are many here. Uh, there are many uh, in uh, other books of the New Testament on particular issues of life, giving examples and principles to apply, but this is really even more fundamental. As we begin our faculty series, I want to continue the idea of, you know, laying the basis for that uh, life of wisdom before God. In uh, in particular, we have uh, in God uh, dealing with somebody who is so extraordinary and beyond our comprehension that you can only call him, he's like a father who cares for us. Uh, And in this instance, James really builds on that. And it's in the midst of trials. Because, you know, wisdom is good and important to pursue in all of our affairs. But it's during the trials of life when you really show it. It's during the evil, oppressive experiences of life that you will have when your wisdom will come out and when you really need it. And it's not just, you know, nice to be a little wiser and sort of be a little more pious. But this is like all those things are stripped away that are your supports for kind of living an ordinary life. And now we're going to decide if you're a child of God or not. I mean, that's sort of what that experience is life. And James is talking about that in James 1. Hear now the reading of God's word. James 1, verse 2. I'll read through verse 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I really want to focus on verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. 
You see, this is really the foundation of life of wisdom and pursuing wisdom from God. It is to look to him for wisdom. And as I mentioned, this becomes really urgent in times of trial. Notice how James introduces trial here and really throughout his book. He talks about the trials that grip us in many places in James. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And frankly, I've never done that yet. I'm not very wise. I rarely express any joy. But I have to tell you, in that time when that psalm was needed the most, in a really grim hour, I had a kind of supernatural joy because I have a father who loves me and cares for me, even in the midst of that time. And you see, what I really should have done, I guess, is read on in verse 5. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, I find this a kind of perplexing, wonderful statement. Because if you lack wisdom, you're probably not going to ask for it from God. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? It takes a certain amount of wisdom to ask God for wisdom. It's a pretty wise thing to do. Uh, and you see, I think if you're a believer in Christ, you're already wise. You're wise enough to obey this advice. Because, you know, James is giving us advice that we all have enough wisdom to discern. But even more, you see, what's behind this is humility. You have to be humble to ask God for wisdom. That's what's really needed. It's faith and humility. And the foundation of this is uh, that humility, and that itself comes from God as well. You see, the trials that he talks about here produce something. They produce, after testing a faith, they produce greater faith, a faith on a firmer foundation. And from faith comes humility because you know who you believe in and you abandon yourself. You see, the opposite of faith here is self-reliance. You're relying upon the Lord. That's, you know, what humility is. You're, you're relying on somebody else. You, you don't have your a hope set in yourself and your own strength. So I think we can all obey this, but it takes a certain amount of wisdom don't let it get to your heads. <laughs> it's the wisdom of faith. It's the wisdom of lack of self-reliance, knowing that we just don't have what it takes in trials like this. And it's the kind of humility that James is talking about throughout the uh, epistle he wrote, this little gem. Look in chapter 4, in the middle of verse 6 here, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We've all been recipients of grace. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see, this is just an act of faith in response to sin. But an act of faith in response to trial is to turn to the Lord. Uh, and that is an act of humility that he gives us because he's given us faith. So what James is advising us here is that in humility, 
we should turn to the Lord for help in time of need. And that, that's what he's calling wisdom here. How to maintain our faith before him and live in the midst of a life that's full of trials and disappointments and need of his further aid. Now, in the rest of verse 5 here, it says, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And you know, my life is dedicated to teaching you the original language so that you can see the options here. And one of the interesting things about the options is that our translation has chosen the word generously here, and it's not an option. It's not what the word ever means. And I hate to say that, but it makes perfect sense in the context to to translate that Greek word as generously. It makes the thing flow nicely, and that's why it's attracted to translators. Because the actual meaning of the word seems sort of strange. And the actual meaning of the word is openly. Who gives openly? Now, notice how if you really want to understand this, you have to keep reading because if you say generously, it doesn't make the rest of what he says make a lot of sense. He gives generously to all without reproach. Now, why would he reproach us? I mean, if we ask of him something, why would he reproach us? Why would he reprove us? You know, we're his children. Well, it's because those two words actually go together. And the word reproach here is found in wisdom contexts. And in fact, it's Ben Sirach. I know Professor Estelle warned us against Ben Sirach, but I'm just using it for word study. We're not looking to him for uh, advice on, on wisdom because I, it's just a word study here. But you see, here's what Ben Sirach says. The fool gives little and grumbles. It's that word in Greek. He grumbles much and opens his mouth like a herald. Heralds, you know, had big voices. They were loud mouths. Uh, Today he lends, tomorrow he demands it back. Hateful is such a man. But you see, grumbles. See, that word reproach there means grumbling. And the idea is God, when he gives you his wisdom and his good gifts, doesn't grumble about it. He doesn't do this reluctantly and, and think, you know, that that was really pretty precious to me. I don't know why I gave that to them. See, he doesn't grumble when he gives gifts. That's what what James is saying. And now you see, you understand what he means by openly. It means simply without any strings. Uh, And in its original context, it's very uh, understandable. Now you were wondering how he's gonna bring Greek inscriptions from Ephesus in on this. I brought Sirach in, I brought, uh, you know, I'm doing the New Testament, it's all in Greek, so we've got to have an inscription to make it complete, or it wouldn't be me. Uh, and here it is. Let me, let me just read this, and I bet you'll piece this together, being such wise folk. This is a letter from the emperor to the city of Ephesus, written around 145 AD, that was inscribed on a building... Uh, that the guy concerning which the letter is written built. So he, this guy paid for this big public building, and then he had this letter inscribed in stone on the building. And here's what it says. Titus Aelius Hadrian Antoninus Pius, that's the emperor, 
to the rulers, the council, and the people of the Ephesians, greetings. I did not learn about the generosity which Vadius Antoninus shows from your letters, but from his, because wishing to enlist my help for the adornment of the public works, which he promised you, he showed me how many and what magnificent buildings he is adding to the city. But you do not appreciate him properly. I, for my part, have granted him all that he requested. I appreciated that he hopes to make the city more august in the manner looking to the future, not following the fashion of many public figures who expend their generosity and spectacles on distributions and on prizes for the games for the sake of immediate popularity. And it goes on. You see, Vadius Antoninus gave generously to his city, but there were strings. Every time somebody gives generously in antiquity, there are strings. And you all were wondering also how I'm going to bring the godfather in on this. <laughs> it's because life in antiquity is life with the godfather. It's life where there are strings attached. If the godfather gives you a gift, there's strings. And that's what it was like in antiquity. And James is saying, with God, there are no strings. You don't owe him anything afterwards. You want to give to him. But he's not doing it for his own benefit, like Vadius Antoninus. It's interesting that Antoninus paid for that letter to be inscribed in stone in a building he put up so that everybody walking by would see his generosity and the fact that he you know, doesn't get enough honors out of the thing. It's just, you know, and you know what? Everybody expected that. That's normal. I mean, that's just the right thing to do because that's what generosity is all about. There is, by, a word, by the way, a word for generosity, and it's not the word that James uses here. James uses the word simply, openly, without strings. And here's why I find this so important. If we were to say, for God gives generously to all, the focus is on the size of the gift. But indeed, James is saying with focus on God the giver. You see, what's really important about this statement is the nature of God, the character of God in his giving. He does it because he is rich and wants to share his wealth with us with no strings attached and he doesn't you know do it reluctantly and grumbling so brothers and sisters when you lack wisdom come to god knowing what he's like now who cares about the size of the gift it's going to be far grander and greater and more important than you can imagine you know that's you know that goes without saying every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights above What's really important is to know who you're asking and to know that it may be costly for him, but it's not going to cost you anything. He's going to give it to you as a father would to his children. No strings. You have it. That's mine. Well, you take it. That's the way God is. So if you lack wisdom in the trials of life, remember who God is. That's what's most important for you to remember. Look to him as a father who loves his children. And he hasn't led you into that dark area, even the valley of the shadow of death, because he's enticing you to evil. It's because he loves you and wants to 
prove your faith and make it stronger. Because it's faith in him, someone who's like this, so, so kind and so good to us. Let us pray. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days and to increase in wisdom in the trials of life so that in the good days of life we may also be wise. We may show our wisdom in that peaceable, fruitful way to adorn our profession of faith in Christ. For you are worthy of all of our good gifts. We thank you for your good gifts, culminating in that one consummate gift that uh, is never known in the history of the world, that you gave your only son for us, that we may have life in him. We pray that you will guide our steps, O Lord, to please you in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.